Good morning, everybody. I am so privileged that I can share a little bit about my experience um, going over to Egoma and what it's done to my life, what it's done to my heart, and what it's doing um, with my relationship with God personally. I haven't prepared a message for you. I'm just going to speak from the heart today. We've got a slideshow that some of these pictures are going to tell more than a story, more than I can even do with, with my words. But I want this to be uh, an open conversation. So if at any point you have a question about me, about the organization, about anything, let's just converse with one another today and, and see what the Lord wants to do. Can you put up that first slide, brother? So carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Does anyone struggle with their sense of worth? A few of us, or a few of us who are honest about it. Um, certainly, I have, I have struggled with that, always feeling like I'm not doing enough, not doing enough, um, kind of drives you a little bit crazy sometimes, but the Lord's grace covers over your life. When you confess his name and you are saved, right? It's like the scripture, Romans 10.10, right? When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. You don't have to strive. You are worthy. Jesus presents you without blemish to the Father. And this organization is, is about the legacy of the work of Jesus, really, uh, it started actually this year, 2019, is the 20th year anniversary of when the first shovel went in the ground to build a medical clinic. Yeah, that's, that's great news. So in 1999, a team of 13 people from several churches around the Stovall area went to Egoma to build a medical clinic. And... It was just slightly before that that a, a dear friend of mine, Peter Neufeld, was, was in Tanzania visiting because the, one of the pastors over at Eastridge Church, Lou Geens, used to run an orphanage over there with his wife and his family, and they ended up adopting um, a local Tanzanian girl um, who's, you know, a part of that family. Uh, so, so Lou said, Peter, why don't you come with me and, and go check out the work that we did in Tanzania? And as they were doing that, Lou must have had some friends, particularly in the Agoma region, because a lot of people ask, why Agoma? So that's the connection. Lou used to work there, and he's from Eastridge Church. Uh, so as, as Lou and Peter were traveling through the Serengeti, which means endless plain, Peter had a vision. I believe it was a vision from the Lord. And he saw the potential of the community of Stouffville as an affluent community filled with believing people uh, adopting a village in, in East Africa. And so he took that vision and he worked on it and, you know, he partnered with other people and he presented it before town council and, and the town council was like, this is a great idea, let's, let's go for it. And then within a few years, you'll notice on the signs, welcome to Stovall on the east and west end, welcome to Stovall partnered with Igoma Tanzania. And though it is a partnership, it's actually more of an adoption. We have adopted them, and we are responsible for them. You know, one of the things I got to, to preach, I'm 
probably getting ahead of myself, but that's okay, when I was in Egoma, is the Lord laid on my heart the prayer of Jesus. And Jesus said two or maybe even three times within one chapter, he said, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm praying for the ones that you have given me. So we don't have to carry a burden of trying to save the whole world. The Lord will put a burden on your heart for maybe one particular individual. That's the person you're supposed to focus on. But it was this man that had the vision and, and he became like a father to me. And when he passed away, uh, the reins were passed on to other people who, who carried the torch for a little bit and he'd eventually fell into my lap when I got home, I think, from my fourth trip. And half the, half the directors resigned, and they said, you, you got to do it. You got you to run the organization. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not capable of doing this. I have no idea what I'm doing. And uh, they said, well, if you don't do it, it's going to fold. And I thought, well, certainly I have a great God, and if he wants me to do this, he'll, he'll make a way. And that's exactly what he's been doing. But our call is to carry each other's burdens. Can we go to the next slide? We see that there's great need. It's very, very visible. People are reaching out for help. Some, some of it looks like this. Some of it more looks like hundreds of kids gathering around you with their hands out, which you'll see a little bit later. But there, there is a great need. And, and the Lord laid it on my heart when I was sitting in Eastridge Church back in 2004 or so. Um, I heard about a work team going over to Tanzania, and I, was, uh, I had applied for a social working uh, program in Montreal, and I said, God, if, if, uh, if I don't get into that program, I'm going to Tanzania, because there was just something stirring in me when I, when I heard about this trip. And a week later, I got a letter, your grades are terrible, you're never getting into this school. I'm like, all right, I'm going to Tanzania. So that was it. That was the seed planted, and that was where my life was changed. The Lord obviously had other plans. And, um, and so 20 years ago, the shovel went in the ground, and it built the Urafiki Health Center. Has anyone seen The Lion King? Yeah? You know, <laughs> So, so the monkey calls someone Rafiki. Does anyone know what that means? That means friend. It's Kiswahili for friend, right? So this is, uh, you are a friend of, of the health center. And it was the first health center. There was no government dispensaries at the time. There was no health care. See, when Peter and Lou were there, they were setting up a church denomination, um, the Tanzania Missionary Revival Church, the TMRC, but they, they asked the leadership there, what do you guys want to, to reach out to your community? And they said, we, we need health care here. We want to show them the love of God through health care. And so they said, okay. They raised the money. They went. They put the shovels in. Four years later, they finished the building. They got a staff hired, and away they went. Several years later, we end up with a, a pediatric center. Uh, just beside, just adjacent to the clinic. And I remember, you know, we were walking around on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm like, this clinic is supposed to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I don't see anyone here today. Why is that? And, and my friend over there, Prisca, who's the, the co-chair of SIP Tanzania, says, brother, nobody gets sick on Sundays. 
<laughs> and then on Monday morning, we come, and there's a lineup, and I'm like, it's true. Nobody gets sick on the Sabbath, I suppose. Our biggest fundraising project uh, that we were going to oversee and, and hope to see it finished was the Minor Surgical Theater. So this brings us one step closer to becoming a hospital. Now, unfortunately, there was some complications with the finishing of the building. Uh, more, more plans had to be drawn up and blueprints and government inspectors had to come. And so there was some complications, but it is now finished and we will begin to see it operating this year with smaller procedures as we slowly send money to buy the equipment. So that, that is huge. Some people, some, some people I called my friends, we, we lost. And they had to travel many, many miles to get to a place that could treat their particular ailment. Now they're going to be able to get treated right in the village. They don't have to spend extra money. They don't have to go to a government facility and pay top dollar. They can get it done right in their own community. Now, one of my favorite things about going on trips every year, because now I've been seven times, and it's not to say that it doesn't affect me anymore, um, it's just I'm, I'm learning to wear that hat of responsibility that I have to wear when I go over as a team leader. So I, I can't be, you know, all too emotional about everything, but I love to watch how the trip affects everybody else. And so I, I won't mention too many names, but uh, I will say that uh, Denon, some of you know Denon and his father, John. Before, before we went to Tanzania, uh, a woman approached me and said, you know, I, I've heard about your organization. You guys seem to be doing amazing work. How come knows, no one knows about it? I want to go this year with my family for like six weeks. I said, that's not going to happen. I'm taking the year off. I've been like the last five years in a row. I need a year off. And she goes, no, I really think that it's important that you come with us. And I said, all right, I'll pray about it. And I prayed about it. And then I thought, well, I need a team and I don't want to be the only person from church going and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I had called Denon and I said, Denon, do you want to come to Africa with me this year? And he goes, your timing is so crazy because my dad is going through heart surgery and one of my friends came over to pray for him. And while he was praying for him, he got, a, he got a prophetic word for him or a word of knowledge. And he said, I see you working with orphans. And John said, I've never told anybody that, but I have always wanted to work with orphans. And that was about two days before I had called and said, do you want to go to Tanzania? One of the things we're going to do is we're going to go visit an orphanage. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, is this God? All right, if it is, let, let's go. So I had their confirmation within just a couple of weeks. And the last guy to jump on the trip, completely unexpected, was a, 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 a young man by the name of Ethan from Uxbridge. And the, the woman who had initially called me, who's the photographer, she took a lot of these amazing pictures, uh, said, my godson is going to come along as well. I'm like, all right, the more the merrier. So it was John and, and Ethan, I mean, we were all touched, right? But once again, it comes back to who has the Lord given you? Where are you really being stirred? So if we can go to the next picture. This is Mpelwa. Uh, on the first day that we were there, we went to Priska's house, which is just atop the clinic. 
And she said, this is one of the uh, sponsored children. Uh, I said, okay. And she's like, her name is Impelua. She recently, um, well, not recently, but uh, a while ago, she went to a wedding and she was raped. And she had a child. And every time she went to breastfeed the child, she would faint because she has sickle cell anemia. And so she wasn't able to feed the child. The child was dangerously underweight, not getting nourishment. And John and Ethan are like, what are we going to do? Like, we got to do something. We got to help. We got to help. So they talked it over with Prisca, and they came up with a solution. They were going to go into, into the city and get a year's worth of formula for the child. You know, the different levels, the three-month formula, six-month, the eight-month, whatever, however that works. But they, they, they managed to sort it out. They gave of their own money, their own time. They went into town, and I had a lot of meetings when I was there, so I had to miss a lot of the fun stuff. But they got to go and personally give, give this gift to Mpelwa, and the, the baby wasn't quite taking the formula for Mpelwa. But here you get this like six foot five Dutchman and this tiny little child and, and the baby took to the bottle and John was just in his glory. He was just so thankful. And Ethan, I won't get into his life story, but that poor dear brother has seen some very, very tough things. And his godmother said, I don't know who this kid is because he's not the kid that we left Canada with. He's now talking. He's got a shine about him. He's eager. He's motivated. I've never seen anyone on a trip go out and tackle the community like this young man. Going out to meet the locals, trying to learn the language, studying late at night, talking. He knew all the people who worked at the hotel. I don't learn very many names. I'm not so good at that. But Ethan, he was changed. Now, one of the girls I feel like the Lord has given me Next slide, please, is Janet. We were at the hotel one day, and, uh, and you know, there's not very many uh, white people in the village, you know. The first couple trips, some of the kids were scared because they'd never seen a white person before. Um, but we were at the hotel one time, and in walks this, this elderly lady with this little albino child, and she starts explaining to, to one of our translators that, they're, they're in serious need. They have no money, and this child's life is in danger. Because of witchcraft several years ago, they would convince their clients to go get them the limb of an albino person so that they could have protection and prosperity. So albino people were getting slaughtered. And the government eventually stepped in several years later. So it's much safer than it was maybe about seven years ago or six years ago when we met this young, young girl. But we were able to give them some, some money, some food, uh, some counsel. Uh, we were able to pray with them. And then immediately when I got home, I told my mom the story, and I told our, our child sponsorship director, and within three days or two days, maybe even the same night, we had a sponsor for that girl. And she was able to go to a safe house for a little while, and then, on Christmas Day, the most unusual Christmas I've ever had, I won't get into it, but there was a party being thrown at our hotel and there was a DJ there and he was throwing a free party for all the kids in the village. So there's just lineup of hundreds and hundreds of children and we go into the back and there's Janet swinging on a big kind of circular swing with about 
30 other children and this thing, like the soldering job's about to come undone and they're about to fly away. But she's smiling and she's with the other children and she's safe in the community now. So that's one of the stories that, that really blesses me and that touched my life. And even with the little that they have, she's giving me a gift. Um, so that's, that's Janet. Another, another story that, that really touches me is the story of Kulwa. So since the first trip, there was a man named Moses who always used to walk around the village and he'd always laugh and greet you and he had this amazing top hat and he was just always so friendly. He was going blind and he had trouble walking but he spoke okay English and he was just always greeting us. And one day just before we were about to leave, we had a little extra money uh, for these special projects and he comes to me with, with the case of his granddaughter that they were taking care of. And she was wearing something called AFOs. Now, I've seen them on, with some of the children I work with here, but they're, they're intended to help you walk and straighten your leg over long periods of time. Um, but she was hoping to have an operation to straighten out her feet because it was very, very painful for her to walk around. So we just happened to have almost the exact amount of money. We sent her to uh, Dar Salaam, which is probably like a 15-hour bus ride, um, and, and she was able to have an operation. Then the next year, I went back, and she, she showed me the scars on her legs, and, uh, and she's like, it was a success, but I have to go up for a follow-up appointment. I'm like, well, we have money for that. So we gave her the money. She went up for a follow-up appointment. Now, I think it's, uh, I don't think I saw her last year. Um, so this was four years ago, three years ago, and then just this past year in, in December, I got to see Kulwa, and I got to see her family. She's about five or six inches taller. She was smiling. She was so grateful to, to be there and to, to receive the help. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's just another one of those stories that it's just like, I'm, I'm rooting for you, Kulwa. We love you. Um, go to the next slide. This is Angela. She was the, the one who just, just lives... Um, up Webb Road there, uh, near Brock. And she bought an old, old, uh, the Brock School, and she's converting it into, like, she does some homeschooling there, and she wants to do retreats and that, but she's the one who heard about the organization and, uh, and just thought, I have to go, we have to do something. And every year, she does, she does photography, amazing photography. So she, she reached out and said, I wanna go and, and, and take pictures of these people. And, and we started talking about the angle and, you know, the, the depravity versus the good news. She goes, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing the world vision, flies around kids' face stuff. I'm just going to capture what I see. And that's exactly what she did. So we got to go to uh, a school. Next slide. And... And we got, to, we got to speak to these kids and encourage them. And then she took a whole bunch of pictures while she was there. And when we went back a few days later, nobody was at the school. But what she did was she took all those pictures and she posted them on the bulletin board outside the classroom. So that when they got back and were looking at all their grades and stuff that they post outside, they get to see themselves. And uh, you can see the, the kids just love love posing for the camera everywhere you go. Pick a picture, pick a picture, right? They, they love it. Um, one of the things we do over there that uh, saves lives is the mosquito nets. Now, the mosquito nets is really the experience you, you want to engage with 
because you go into people's homes and you get to see how they actually live, right? So you're not just greeting people and seeing them at the clinic and, you know, doing, doing all, all of the other programming stuff. This is the, the deep personal touch that usually affects people the most. Can I get a witness back there? Yeah? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, next slide. You'll see things like this. You'll see how they cook, how they eat. Uh, they're, they're very grateful. When people see you walking around with mosquito nets or giving out candy or something like that, everybody wants something. Everybody's asking. And I, I asked Lou one time, I said, how do you deal with that? Like people, like, oh, you know, things are so desperate. I need this, I need that. How do you deal with that? He goes, listen, if they don't ask, they don't get so they're going to ask, and they're going to be relentless, but they're used to the word no. It's okay to say no sometimes. But of course, we, d we don't like to say no. We like to say yes, yeah, we're going to fix that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But we can't. we can't. We can't do it all. And John, bless his heart, always had these granola bars everywhere he went. And as soon as he started breaking them off for the kids, he'd had 10 kids around them, and he'd go through all of his granola bars, and the next day he's handing out granola bars, and I'm like, John, be careful, man, be careful. Because you gotta keep nourished yourself, and everywhere you go, people are gonna run up to you because they're gonna think you have a gift for them. Um, <clears throat> but I remember... Just, just to be playful, we, we went to this island to see some animals and just have a, a, a little safari and have one day off, and there was monkeys around. And at the end of our journey, walking around this island for a few hours, <coughs> excuse me, John's sitting there, and there's a monkey beside him, and he's got his granola bar. And I'm, I'm surprised the guy had granola bars left. He gave away dozens and dozens. And he takes a bite, and the monkey's like, hmm. So he gave the monkey their granola bar, and there's a woman on the other side of the bench, and she's breastfeeding, and she's looking at John a little peculiar, and there's John eating the granola bar. There's the monkey eating the granola bar beside him. She's laughing. She starts doing selfies with John and the monkey in behind her. But yeah, it's, it's very, very hard to say no when your heart longs to say yes, to give as much as you possibly can give but there's only so much monetary funds to go around when you're there. But we're thankful that every time we go, there's, there's so much gratitude. For this particular family, this is my parents' sponsor child, Mateo. His father used to practice witchcraft. Uh, seeing us come around every year, I'm sure made a difference. I don't know if it was the deciding factor, but eventually he renounced it and gave his life to the Lord. Now he gives us chickens, yeah, hallelujah. He gives us a chicken every time we go. And so uh, thanks to, to, to Mayor Altman, I was able to learn how to, how to quickly kill a chicken. And, uh, and, and we, we ate it, and it was, it was good. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of gratitude there. Uh, but the way we learn to carry each other's burdens is with the body of Christ. Now, I just want to read a little scripture here. It's one of my... My favorite thematic scriptures, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you know God has an inheritance in you? That's incredible. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's hard to imagine that we are the body of Christ who fills everything in every way. But that is what we are. And when we look at each other, we ought to be able to see Christ in one another because the power that raised Christ from the dead then lives in that person and you're able to see it and say, there's a weapon, there's a weapon, there's a weapon, and here we are putting our artillery together to love on the world, right? Because the enemy comes to see, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes so that we might have life and life abundantly, right? So we put the body of Christ together and we see that there is abundant life and so the Lord gave me these people. He gave me my brother Julius, Kaka Julius, Dada Prisca. He gave me Jacinta and Mary and Marcelina and Moses. These are the people that work on the other end of, of SIP. And, and all the time they're saying, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying that the Lord will have his way. And every time I talk to Julius, he's fighting malaria. He's fighting nepotism in the organization. He's fighting against the evils that he can see so that the, the, the people that need it most will receive the care. And so I need to realize that the Lord has given these people to me so that I can intercede for them. You know, sh to my shame, I once told someone, when I go home, I'm not praying for you. That's not my gift. Intercession, that's your gift. My gift is maybe evangelizing and preaching or maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but I'm, I'm not going to intercede for you. Well, the Lord brings correction to his sons and now he's showing me that intercession is a major part of the protection of this organization. And something happened to me when I was there where we were all having fellowship over dinner and someone said something. I'm not going to say who or what it was, but someone said something, and my mouth said something really stupid. And I knew as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, why did I say that? And he rebuked me in front of everybody. And I sat there pretty quiet the rest of the night, went to my room and read the scriptures and just thought, Lord, like, why am I so arrogant and judgmental and all these things, and the Lord reminded me, you see, you're a son, and I need to bring correction to you. It's not to shame you, because there's no more shame in Christ. It's to bring correction to put you on the right path, right? So the Lord is always using these experiences to bring to the surface, you know, it's like we're under fire. The only thing that can remain after fire is the one thing that we're made for. And so the Lord is a refining fire, and he's going to bring his sons and daughters under the test of that fire so that the, the things that remain are the things of God.
one of the things that really touched me was going to this orphanage, and although we don't support it directly, we support it indirectly. We give him uh, free medical care for all of his children, and it's very, very common to visit a place, and they're going to do a song and dance for you, you know? That's just the way it is. So they always put you in the highest seats at the front, and all the other people are down low looking up at you, and then they get together, and they put on a song, and they do their dance, right? And this one girl, I think, had enough, and she was filled with grace, but she was singing her song and taking the lead, and the, the children were singing the backup vocals, and all of a sudden, she's like, this, I'm not performing for you. And she fell to her knees and started weeping. And she was just worshiping the Lord with her hands up in the air. And that, that's, that's worship, right? That's the spirit of worship that, that I long to see, that I'm fired up when I see that. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for that one. The spirit of God is in her. She wants to know you more. And I pray that you will grant her that. Josephat, he might not always be the most honest man. And sometimes, you know, the thing is, when you're giving money, it's like Lou said one time, you know, you could give someone 20 bucks for lumber and they come back three hours later and you're like, where's the lumber? And they're oh, my brother needed it. You know, that's just the way, it's just the way it is. And we've given Josephat money for certain projects and they didn't quite see the fruition that we had hoped. And when I see him in person, I'm like, Josephat, where did the money go? I had to send my daughter to school. Now, understand, it's not his daughter-daughter. It's whom he has taken in as an orphan. And the Lord says, true religion that the Lord finds faultless is this, taking care of the orphans and the widows. So even though Josephat is highly misunderstood, he's still taking care of the orphans and the widows. And he sees a lot of rejection. He sees a lot of opposition but I need to encourage him in that. I'm like, that just means you're on the right track. Most of the time. Most of the time. But he's taking care of these kids, and I just have to go see him every single time. One of the, he was just given uh, 30 acres of land by a very prosperous businesswoman uh, that I got to meet a couple years ago. And he's like, partner with me, brother. He's like, you know, I will give you some of this land. We'll build a school for the orphans. You know, we'll build a hostel for SIP so that we don't have to keep going to this hotel that is just inviting the demonic powers into it through prostitution and through witchcraft. And, you know, I won't get into some of those stories, but the hotel that we always stay at is going downhill very quickly. And so it, we, we have thought of a bigger vision for SIP, not just to keep the programs running at the status quo, but to, now I'm taking on the vision that Peter had to say, we need a hostel there. We need a place for teachers and nurses that can stay safely just outside of the community on this farmland and, and to have a school for all these orphans and the people that can't afford to go to school. And I would love to go and stay there six months out of the year and do some teaching and preaching and, and all those good things. And the Lord certainly has given us opportunity. This is a humanitarian charity. So I have to be careful which hat I'm wearing when I'm walking around because our mandate is healthcare and education. But I cannot take the Christian off of me when I'm there. And I cannot take the fire of the Lord out of me when I'm there. So there's always opportunities for ministry. And uh, Denon saw this man on the way to the clinic and he's like, just, just come, you gotta you got come pray. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's pray. And, and even Angela and her husband, who they, they don't know the Lord, 
But they saw this and they were touched and they posted this picture and said, you know, money's not everything that can lift a person up. So even they recognized the, the power of prayer. This man, you know, we didn't see his leg grow out a few inches as we were praying or as we were hoping, but he was very, very grateful because every time we saw him after that, he, he smiled at us, he greeted us. Um, another opportunity is obviously you can see that I'm, I'm not very shy to speak in front of people. That school that we went to and photobombed, I had an opportunity to speak to all these kids and I just basically said, you know, it's not about stepping on your neighbor to try to get to the top. You gotta support one another. It's about the love of Christ, right? And after I was done speaking, because they always expect every person to speak, even if you're shy, they want you to say something. And so you get the typical, my name is Justin, I'm from Canada, I'm very grateful to be here. You're all so lovely. Sit down right away, right? Um, so I said my piece, and then Denon's like, well, I thank Justin because he said exactly what I wanted to say, and then John said the same thing, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a real good time to be with those children. Um, I got to speak at church four different times. You know, the Lord, when his word lives in you, you don't have to fret in your preparations. So I would be asked sometimes to speak the next day, Christmas Day, sometimes twice in a day. I didn't have a message. I, I haven't been a pastor for 10 years where I have things in my back pocket that, well, you know, I, I'm feeling like the Lord is saying to re recycle this message here or whatever. Not to say that that's what all pastors do or anything, but I've heard, you know, some pastors say they have a couple in their back pocket just in case, right? But most of what the Lord had me read from his word was not what he wanted me to tell the people. You see, the Lord just wanted to work on my heart so that his word could properly flow through me when I got up there. So I literally maybe had one or two scriptures and nothing else in my little journal, and I put these little pieces of paper in my Bible to try to remember, and then I get up, and they're like, okay, speak. And I'm like, okay. And the, the, the spirit of the Lord would just begin speaking, and I Sometimes I'm surprised at how much scripture the Lord has stored up as a, like in a bank to, to, to be prepared to give, you know, to give an answer for the hope that you have at any given time. So it's important that we abide in the word. And I love when the Lord stretches me to do something that I'm not qualified to do because then he proves who he is and reminds me that I'm covered by his grace and he stretches me to a point of, of a new level of responsibility that I did not deserve or earn. And then when I walk into that anointing, he keeps showing me his faithfulness over and over and over again. Right? So that's the way the Lord keeps working in my life. I, he says, okay, here's an opportunity. I say, I, I, I'm not qualified for that. And he said, well, just you walk into it and you'll see. And then I walk into it and he's like, okay. You see, I'm here. I'm here in this. I'm going to take you through it. Right? So as I'm kind of closing up here, I'll say that there's just there's so much joy. There's so much joy. Everywhere you go, the kids follow you around. I, I think the children saved my life this time around because you're not supposed to walk after dark. You're not supposed to walk really alone in the village. It's very dangerous. Even for the locals, it can be very, very dangerous. 
Um, Den and, and, and Ethan actually got to see that. They, were, they walked out of the gate just to say goodbye to Prisca and put her on a motorbike to take back to her house. And some of these drunk guys came up and they began threatening and, and coming at them. And the security guard, who usually has, you know, a bow or, or, you know, a hammer or some form of protection, you know, they got into it with these guys. And Ethan and, and Denon were, were very disturbed after seeing that. I said, you see, we're, we need to go out only in daytime, and we need to go out together. Never one alone, right? There's only a few people who have gone out alone <laughs> when we were there. Um, but I was walking home, and it was just starting to get dark. I'd finished a very, very long meeting, or I went up to see someone to get something, and, you know, it's about a 10-minute walk back to the hotel, and I was alone. I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? And as I walked down past a few houses that are just behind the clinic, the, all the kids who hang out there saw me, and they grabbed my hands, and they walked me, about eight of them walked me all the way right to my hotel door, Right? And you'll see several looks along the road. You'll see some looks of gratitude, and you'll see some looks like, who are you? What are you doing here? And so it can be very, very intimidating. I just tend to smile and nod, say a few Swahili words, or keep my head down. But when you have these kids, people laugh at you. They smile at you, right? And so that happened to me twice when I needed to be walking in the dark or just as the evening was coming, the children saved my life. There's an unspoken language, especially seen in Tanzania, and it's lovely. When you have that language barrier, sometimes, like we have interpreters and all that. We went to one lady, uh, her, her, her husband had passed away. She, was, she became the shepherd of, of her church, and her daughter is in eye care. She never said one word to us. It was a series of, ah, mmm, mmm, mmm. Everything was humming. And I think that just the look on her face is, is that unvocal expression of, of the language that you can speak without actually saying any words. Now, that first picture you saw of, of the, the, the joining hands, Angela depicted it very, very nicely. She said, you know, instinctively, children, you don't have to tell them not to be racist. You don't have to describe a lot of things to them. She, Angela's daughter, Ella, just got, saw this girl picking up dirt in a half-cut pot bottle, and she's just making a stack with the dirt. Ella instinctively just got down in the dirt right away, and they were playing with the dirt together, right? And so that, to me, is, is the true, you know, childlike join hands and create hope. Just, just get down with me and, you know, come, come to me where I'm at. Bear with one another. And, you know, as I read that scripture, bear with one another, the Lord gives me another meaning to that if you change the, the spelling of bear with one another, right? We're called, we're carriers of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has all the gifts of the Spirit, right? And we bear fruit, and I believe we're intended to bear with one another the fruit that we have, right? So it's not just bearing with one another like, yeah, I can forgive you for that. Yeah, I can lift you up for that. But it's also to bear the goodness of God with one another, to encourage one another.
And so Angela did a great job of, you know, I'm not going to get the, the child with the flies. I'm not going to show the, the, the devastating, you know, kid with the ribs in the field. I'm just going to take pictures of them where they're at. And, and this is some of what she captured. Just absolutely amazing. You know, they are so, it's true. All Canadians say the same thing. My name is so-and-so, and thank you for being so welcoming. They are notorious for being a very, very welcoming people. Yes, there might be some motives behind it when you're speaking with someone, and they're so friendly, and they're so friendly, and you're talking to them for an hour, and all of a sudden, can you help me? I want to start a business. I want to do this. I can't fault them for that. But they are very, very welcoming, very, very trusting to some degree. And so it's, it's that joy that, that I continue to carry home. So why do I do what I do? Because there's joy. There's joy in it, right? It's not going and seeing just devastation and taking Canadian dollars over there and, and saying, okay, I fixed it. You know, I could be looked at as a hero or whatever. That's, that's not what's happening over there. Because you need to partner with people. And you need to meet people, and you need people to run the organization. And the only way to do that is to develop relationships. And when you develop relationships, you begin to see Christ in one another. And when you see Christ in one another, you begin to build each other up. And when you build each other up, you get more energy and passion to serve the people of God. And so people always say, oh, you must love going to Africa. You know, you've been so many times. Do I like going on long plane rides and sleeping in a bed that's not my own and sometimes having a thousand hands reaching out at me and, you know, all these responsibilities bearing down on me? No. But do I love seeing the hand of the Lord at work in other people's lives and going through the fire of his glory and his discipline and his presence so that I can grow in my faith, in my walk with the Lord. This is what Jesus has set aside in advance for me to do. I didn't believe him, but with just a shred of faith, because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So hearing the word of God, I'm like, I don't really believe it for myself, but if you said it, then I'm going to try to walk in it. And with lots of doubt, the Lord just keeps refining us, keeps refining us. And I want, to, I, want, I want the people that the Lord has given me. You know, our work is going to be tested with fire. You know, God talks about church planting and, you know, I'm going to test your work by fire. Those whose work burns up will get saved, but just barely. You know, I want to run the race well. I know God's not mad at me, but... The Lord has come that we might have life and life abundantly. And I want to walk in that promise and in that anointing, in the encouragement of the body of Christ who fills everything in every way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I'm just going to open it up for, for one minute. Um, you know, uh, I've talked about my heart. Uh, I think a lot of you know we have a medical clinic. We have a child sponsorship program with 115 families. We send 50 
kids to secondary school, 10 kids to vocational training. We hand out several hundred mosquito nets every year. We partner with other organizations to put water cisterns at other schools. So that's, that's basically where our program ends, but we're always looking to make new connections. But does anyone have any questions? Does anyone have any comments? I'd ask that you just play, play a little soft guitar and I'm going to close in prayer here unless anyone has any comments or questions. All right, Heavenly Father, I give you praise for your goodness, Lord, that it is not by works that we have been saved, but by faith alone, Lord, and that we can stand on your promises, Lord. Your promises came 430 years before the law was even given. Your promise goes back to Abraham. Because you have faith, it is credited to you as righteousness, Lord. May we hear your word daily, Lord, that we might be filled with all the righteousness of God, of Jesus, who is head over everything, Lord. And we are his body who fills everything in every way. Let us run this race with perseverance, Lord God, that we might encourage one another daily, Lord, that we will intercede for one another, that we will give everyone and anyone at any given time a reason for the hope that we have. And might not we be distracted by things that look like good works, but are distractions, Lord, but be focused on those that you have given us. So that we're not spread too thin, Lord. But we know that you can do all things. We give you praise and glory for who you are, your faithfulness, your kindness that leads us to repentance, Lord. And we, we hold on to the hope and the promise that when we see you, we're going to be just like you, Lord. We thank you for those that have gone before us and laid laid the work on the foundation of Jesus Christ to inspire and encourage us, Lord. And we want to walk in those legacies and the good things that you have done for us and prepared for us to do, Lord. We thank you that you have called us sons and daughters, children of the light. And we give you praise and thanksgiving today for all that you are doing and all that you are going to do in our lives to prove once again that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. May your name be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.